I think it's a way of existing. I think because I, I struggle to find a way to exist that if I can um, enact someone else's way, I can be so many and live through different times and different sexes and different, even different professions. Hi, I'm Ty Snaith and this is A World of Her Own, a series of conversations with Australian women artists I respect and admire. Today I'm chatting with one of my favourite Australian painters, Deanna Giorgetti. This conversation bent my mind in so many interesting ways. From totally surprising me to completely inspiring me, Deanna is one brave and talented woman and she's had her fair share of adversity. Her paintings are possibly the most covetable images your eyes could feast on and highly collectible and prized in many private and public collections. However, it's something about the skills of perception that Deanna possesses that really got me, how keen not only her visual eye is, but her mind's eye. She employs a process of intense looking, acquiring visual imagery and colourways from artists before her and conflating them into her own works. She's a kind of professional copycat. Then she acts as her own hardcore visual editor and curator. She hones in on which paintings are really alive to her. As she said in her own words, it's a way of witnessing a visual legacy of those artists who came before her and paying her respects to them and their work. Through this rollercoaster of topics, from madness to friendship to social media, I can't help but feel like I've made a new friend in Deanna. Big welcome to Deanna Giorgetti. Do I pronounce it Deanna or Dina? Deanna. Deanna. So thanks for coming. Thank you, Tay. And do you... Tay. <laughs> do I pronounce it Tay or Tay? That's good. I asked you the same question. So. Do you call yourself a painter? Uh, probably not. I've probably just started to call myself an artist wow. in the last 10 years. And how long have you been actually an artist for, though? Uh, since I was 18, so 30 years. What do you think that is? Because quite a few people um, that I know sort of feel weird calling themselves an artist. In my generation, to call yourself an artist was to name yourself as someone on welfare and drugs. It's only just become uh, some sort of excitement to people to hear that you're an artist. So it's almost like um, you you have a an old association with it being like a not a not an aspirational thing to be an artist to call yourself an artist. That's right. Wow! And now it's almost like I think almost pompous or something to say that you're an artist. I am surprised about how how it's interpreted in these times. Isn't that a fascinating shift in the last whatever that is twenty? That's right. Thirty yeah. years. Um, and I guess you you do generally just make paintings, don't you? I do. I actually studied sculpture mm-hmm. and was making installations um, when I was at school. Uh, I wanted to paint, but I wasn't accepted into painting. That's exactly the same story as me. Really? Yeah. I applied for painting and I got into sculpture because they told me I thought three-dimensionally. Right. I, but I always wanted to, to paint, but yeah, study sculpture as well. So interesting how people can tell you what you're better at and what you know already. Well, actually, they might have had a point because 
I did the first year. There was some concern that I was colorblind. Really? I, either that or just ignorant to what the, um, the topic of the projects were, that I was avoiding them, being a rebel or something. But, but your sense of color is so, mate, it's so like, It's imported though. What do you it's mean? Not a, it's not an innate sense of color. Or I use other people's palettes and colorways. Really? Mm. So you base each work on another person's colorway? Absolutely. Oh, I never knew that. Really? That's right. And do you stick with one person for a while? No, not now. No, I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it's pretty much a couple of people at a time, um, smashed up together. (laughs) But you will sit down and say, these are the two palettes that I'm working with. And their forms. And their forms. Wow. But, But you have an eye in, I mean, there's a similarity, there's a language that a similar language that goes through all it of them. It must be the edit. Really? Mm, that would be the only common denominator, me the, the edit. editing them. Wow. So you, do you ever, do you think of yourself as an editor? I do. Huh. I think of myself as a curator. Of your own output. That's right. No, that's a really, really interesting point. Because I think we all do it, but not, it's not a conscious thing a lot of the time for a lot of artists. But the edit is so important, isn't it? It is. I think it is. It's kind of everything. It is. So do you have to make a large amount of work in order to... I used to, and I was obviously a very strong editor. Mm. So a lot of people, I think, in those early times, thought that I was only making five paintings a year, whereas <laughs> I was probably making, you know, 20, 30 paintings, but allowing five to exist. And what do you do with the others? Throw them out. <gasps> You do not. Yes. You, are, you don't just hide them away somewhere? No. Wow. I can't even keep the ones that did succeed. You're hardcore. I am. <laughs> in fact, when I was living in uh, close to Smith Street, I was on, actually living on Brunswick Street, for a time there I thought I felt charitable to other artists that might need the materials, so I'd leave them out on <gasps> the footpath. Oh, I wish I was walking past on that day. <laughs> And one night I was walking along Smith Street and I saw one in a room hanging up. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> so I ended that and just started throwing them away. Oh, wow. That's kind of amazing. I don't know. I think you should maybe just put them in a cupboard or something. <laughs> no, no, no. They're not, I don't consider them paintings when they don't work. They're more like preparatory or just... They're just a failure. <laughs> So are you, um, do you think that you, are you hard on yourself as well? Like you're obviously hard on your critical towards your own practice, but do you feel like you're, you're like that to yourself? Are you much more generous with your own? Do you mean in my private life? Yeah. No, no, I'd say, I'd say I'm harsher on myself in my private life. I think that's something that a lot of us share, like that, that's um, something I've been trying to I don't know, just loosen up for a while. I'm super hard on myself as well. But I don't know, what am I trying to say here? But that thing when it's on yourself, it can be crippling sometimes. Like for me, it can be crippling when I'm so hard on myself that I don't want to leave the house. Or do you ever feel that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'm known for being a hermit. What, what is that? <clears throat> it's a kind of exile um, due to... I think um, I have a pretty debilitating mental illness um, and a a madness about me that was stronger when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
the madness is probably just an extreme of a lot of things that aren't considered mad but are extremes and therefore um, I had quite an intense younger life. And is it kind of like an obsessive um, urge? Is it related to that? Uh, It's called a borderline personality disorder. So there were, it's just a different perception of what life is to most people around you and you need them to adhere to what you consider to be life to exist. So right. you're manipulating a lot, you're mm-hmm. trying to convince people to, to be as you and vice versa, you can morph into other people. Hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's a very... Um, intense coexistence yeah i can imagine and and difficult to push through and make work through that the work actually gave me probably my only independence Hmm. like true independence um and gave others a breather from from me (laughs) But but then there's others that only know your work I mean like don't know you as a person at all so and if like me I mean I haven't met you before today and the way that you come through in your work is um incredibly um balanced and considered and uh, you know there's a poise sane yeah and totally the opposite of what I would imagine a mad person's work to look like so that's right that's, that's really right. fascinating that that's is that I thought that too when yeah. I've looked at people's work I thought the cliche would be expressive mm. out of control but I guess when you are those things already when you're too emotional mm-hmm. and you are out of control you want to um, experience something other than that <laughs> and you're aware self-aware enough um, to know that that's what makes you feel good as to make that type of work. Have you ever tried making the opposite type of, type of work? Yes, probably. I can't recall, but I'm sure I'm sure I have. I remember trying to paint in the dark. Really? How did that go? <laughs> oh, I wasn't, I wasn't impressed. <laughs> but did you learn something about the process or...? Hmm, it's interesting. Yeah, and I learned that looking is really important. Mm. Mm. That that your eyes are your biggest mm. asset, aren't they? As mm. an editor and a painter. And without them, do you feel like completely out of control? I've never painted in the dark. I'm going to try it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was hoping, you know, you're always hoping to be surprised by yourself. You're always hoping to learn something that you didn't... Um, didn't know was possible mm. uh, I don't like my work to be an illustration of an idea mm. rather it be the other way around um, like an idea put onto that work I'd like to find out what the idea is <laughs> by making the work yeah yeah it's a good way of working and for those people that are listening that might not have seen your work you should just google it but um it's it's abstract I mean it's all abstract isn't it yeah, I made some figurative work early mm-hmm. on using uh, oriental figures mm-hmm. that I thought were quite abstracted by the costumes, the kimono- kimonos that were like, you know, triangles and whatnot. Mm. The figurative element in the work is the humanity of it. I, I think there's a desperation to connect mm-hmm. in them. 
Um, that's my way of existing in the world. Hmm. But so by being fully uh, abstract and colour and dominantly like bold kind of colour-based and with the process you explained earlier of using other people's palettes, is that a way of distancing yourself, your self-self from the work? I think it's a way of existing. Mm. I think because I, I struggle to find a way to exist that if I can um, enact someone else's way, hmm. I can be so many mm-hmm. and live through different times and different sexes and different, even different professions. Some are architects. So yeah. interesting. So you're sort of like this multivigil that is all <laughs> these different people from history. That's really well said. Kind of com- compressed or condensed. That's right. Into your your best list, like edited yes. into the top ten of. Edited into my soul, like, you know, filtered through my soul. Yeah, filtered is a good Mm. way of saying it. So just on that, I mean, who are the people that you've found most satisfying to look at as other artists? Mm, There's many of them, and I think that's one of the reasons I do this too, is to give them a good old yo through the timeline because so many... Like to pay respect. Pardon? To pay respect. That's right, that's right, because there are thousands of artists uh, let's say, per decade mm. that um, just don't get seen. Mm. You know, history books will choose two or three of them. So true. And so, yeah, I've, I've um, reenacted those people. And are they predominantly women or men and women? Of course, because of history, predominantly <laughs> <Yeah>. men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, there are some women. Um, I tend also, I tend not to really focus on their names. Mm. It's a more, I, I am there witnessing what their legacy is, which is this visual language. language. And I, you know, even though I just said, you know, I'm able to be all these, these people, I'm pretty, I'm not that interested in the brand of them, the movement mm. of them, even the chronological aspect of them, mm. just that pure connection between what they've made and what I want to make that's so it's it's very rare I think because I think we all do that to an extent I mean I know I do myself and move through different interests often of other people get obsessed with an artist read everything about them you know look at their work in a way where you imagine making it like I often do that with artists but I don't think there's many artists that can articulate it in the way that you are with your work which adds a type of meaning to the work like rather than um do you know what i'm trying to say like rather than uh, cheapening it it actually adds a depth to your work that i didn't know was there and that's that's a that's a skill in itself being able to articulate that did that take you a long time to work out how to say that yes i speak kind of regularly with a few friends a few peers and over the you know decades I've come to realise what it is I'm doing by mm. speaking with these peers. That's an important step, isn't it? To sort of have a people you trust, mentor, like mentors or a panel that you can go to with. Um... Only now, as 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 you know, um, over the fifty mark, are a few things making themselves clear to me, and one of those is just how important art is. Mm. which I just took for granted before. 
and how important your relationships with other artists are mm. for context, for motivation, hmm. uh, for approval, of course, and sense of context mm. and of relevancy. Where your work sits within mm. a spectrum of... Yeah, so how, I mean, how do you choose those people? Or do they choose you? I think we choose each other yeah. based on the work. It's really interesting. I think there's a certain point in your life where I've started to notice that happening too. It's not actually just the people you went to art school with. And maybe it's about um, being open to those people when they reach out to you, which if, you, if you're feeling insecure or whatever, you might think, oh, why would they want to talk to me or what? Oh, they're way better than me. Or but, but lately I've been a lot more open to noticing those things and thinking, well, maybe there's something in that. Like maybe there's a reason we should have a cup of tea or have a chat or whatever. But it's, it's a certain, you know, recognising that um, connection. I'm grateful to the people that, that hang with me that yeah. I consider better than me. Um, but they probably consider you in the same no, way. No, actually not. They're pretty clear about that. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's an open friendship, isn't it? Like an honest friendship if you can talk about that stuff. But it's hugely, hugely important to like look out, look out for each other as well. And particularly if you go through lots of roller coasters in your life. I mean, everyone has their stuff with family or self-care, but it's so nice when you have a friend that can be like, hey, are you... Yeah, you know, your paintings are looking great. But... Absolutely, especially if they're the people that you admire the most. Yeah, right. Obviously their opinion is going to have a lot of impact. Yeah. So who are those people for you? I'm oh. fascinated now. You don't have to say. <laughs> uh, well, I'd have to say Haney Armanius mm. is, yeah. Great. I think he's, um, he's a, a landmark in Australian art and probably internationally. Mm. Such an exciting producer of different things and brave and sort of, um, I, I don't know him personally, but just the work that he makes is so, you know, like just to actually make it is the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I call him a Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a good one. He's a good mm. one to have. And painters? Um... Well, the painters that are closest to me would be Stephen Bram, um, Pat Hoffey. Um, these are people that I talk about studio work with and, and um, on a regular basis. There's just so much good art out there. Like, you know, if you scroll the Instagram, the Instagram. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That's a post fifty um, <laughs> title. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm at once just sort of excited and and aroused by it, but also incredibly humbled and put in my place. Um, but you're which, pretty big on the Instagram. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. How do you feel about the um, the ageless nature of Instagram? I mean, I. I'm fascinated by artists I stumble across, obviously, their work and say they don't have any images of themselves or they, they edit that out carefully. I find it fascinating to sort of go, this person could be, you know, 20 or this person could be 70. And particularly with certain types of painting, there's this 
um, conflation, I guess, that happens on things like Instagram. And I reckon you probably fall into that, you know, because your work seems very current and relevant right now. And I, if I didn't know of you, I could guess that you could be a number of different points in time. Do you think that when you're looking at other people's work? Not really. I'm pretty much concentrating on the work. The work. But now that you mention it, there must be subconsciously some kind of mm. considerations going on. Um, strangely enough, I never guess at the sex. Yeah, neither do of I. The person. I'm hopeless at that. And I just wouldn't know where they're from. Mm. I mean, I'd like to say, oh, that's really American. Or, and I just wouldn't know whether it was European because I'm just not that, mm. uh, you know, knowledgeable about, about um, geographical, you know, movements or whatnot. Mm. Um, but do I do think it's great that artists can exist outside of a lot of those mm. categorising Mm. aspects but I also I mean you don't have to present at an opening either I mean you don't have to be in the flesh and is there do you go to all of your openings like do you no um you know for some of the reasons that you know for, for sometimes I'm not stable enough but also there have been times where I've had to preserve those finances for work mm -hmm. I can't travel mm -hmm. you know that would just be that could amount to an exhibition, for example. Of course, yeah. Um, and it's best not to uh, get too into debt, I think, with your work because you don't want to resent your work. That's a good yeah. That's a good tip. I've always lived within <laughs> my means with um, what I've made. Oh, right. And does that uh, relate to scale as well in terms of the size yep, of your materials, etc.? Yeah. I've only purchased what I could handle financially that's pretty sound advice i reckon i mean you do i do see some artists that make you know like massive things and i always have the questions before i think oh that's an interesting art artwork as an artist i think first of all how did you pay for that secondly where do you put that after it doesn't sell like if you're not there's mm. there are pragmatic mm. well i can understand you know if you were more conceptually aligned mm. that you felt you had to carry out an idea and it it's it's annoying that we live in a real world where you know it takes stuff. a certain amount of money to make it happen for me i just did not i i saw people around me doing that and stopping and hating their Stop, work no it's just stopping work because mm. they couldn't afford it anymore mm, that's really interesting and i sort of think as an artist hopefully you know you're a creative person Hopefully you could create your way out of that. Um, on, a, on a different topic, well, actually a relevant topic to the context of this, um, this project, do you consider yourself a, a feminist artist? Well, I don't even really consider myself an artist. I've only just caught up with that recently. <laughs> so, but do I consider myself a feminist? Yes, in that I care about... Um, I care about women in art yeah. and I care about my peers, my female peers, having a, the same opportunities that men do. Yeah, that makes you a feminist, yep. And do you ever, I mean, do you ever feel like you're in a position where you can exercise that um, uh, that, that ideal or that... Um... I, I recently have started as some of my friends have said, throwing my weight around. Yeah, awesome. 
and some people told me to pull my head in. No, don't listen to them. And exactly. (laughs) If you get to this point and you can do something. Why wouldn't you? Absolutely. So in what ways have you felt you could? Either suggesting someone for a position in a gallery, Mm -hmm. which has worked out, or exhibitions or something like this. Mm. I, I see this as a gift to the community. Um, yeah, just I, I would like to make myself available to um, anyone who who needs to. You heard it here first. <laughs> a mentor? Or, you know, like do you consider, because you are, I mean, you are just through your work. People look to your work all the time, refer to it in painterly worlds. Um, but, yeah, I think I mentioned to you earlier when I asked my a big big group of my female peers um, who they would like to hear an interview with, so similar kind of like just casting a net just to see who. I mean, I, I had my list, um, which you were on anyway, but, I, but about more than half of them said you. So, and they didn't actually all say anyone else in common, which I thought was really oh. fascinating. So I do think you have a particular relevance to younger women. And whether, I mean, whether or not that's just th- purely through a visual language, which, and this is interesting, oh. or through the notion that you've persevered and persisted through almost adversity, like if people know stories of your practice, you've, you've, it's not been easy for you. You know, personally, it's not no. been easy for you. So to know that you've pushed through and been faithful to quite a critical practice as well. I think women look to that as well and and look up to that. So what's interesting for me is does that then convey in a visual language as well, you know? Yeah, before I said to you that um, I'd throw away the paintings because they weren't Mm. paintings, the truth is they weren't art. Mm. Like it is easy to make a painting. Mm. It's pretty impossible to make art. But once you do, it's addictive and it will restore you and mm-hmm. it will comfort you and console you when needed. Uh, I remember having some mm-hmm. sort of breakdown and looking over to some work and uh, it did. I Because, you know, you can think you're a fraud a lot of the time. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. And then when you're in that mode of of just no pretension just absolute truth Mm -hmm. nothing to lose and you look over and you see a work and it's real and it looks back at you Mm. and it supports you um Hmm. that's a worthwhile commitment that's a it's creating your own support network like it's it's, yes and and it it's confirming who you are right like it's confirming the inner you that you know is good Yes, I felt that it confirmed that it was alive mm-hmm. and I was, I was satisfied with that. But with regards to being um, a part of the community, I have moved here to Melbourne this year and back to Melbourne, I should say. I did spend my, my youth living here and I've recently gotten a studio in Brunswick okay. and the doors are always open. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Because I think that that's really, I mean, part of this project for me is is just reaching out to women, the generation before me, because it's so important. I, mean, I realised when younger artists started saying things to me, and usually about having children, you know, how do you have 
how do you keep having a practice only because I've just I've had children but then you realize well I want I mean why can't I be doing that as well reaching out to people above me but for whatever reason at art school that's not really something that you learn you learn how to be good with your peers you learn how to like be, you know talk about your work make your work whatever but that I think that's quite important just that bridging of the the generation so like any society I mm. think so too I mean in Australia I don't know that we value our elders as we should that's yeah as a, as a lot of other cultures and of course there's you know so much experience mm. to to um to educate yourself with mm. when you speak with someone who's lived 20 30 years more than you Mm. The art, the 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 art um, world of this country was very different when I was your age. Mm. Very different. Exclu in an exclusive way. No, I think it was easier. Oh, I think right. it was less exclusive. Mm. And I feel so much for people now coming into it. Absolutely, it just seems so. The struggle is very very real. Mm. And there's more artists, and it's more competitive, and. There was far yeah. more support in my time. There was yeah. a lot. I have to, in this conversation, um, say how grateful I am to mm. the crew that supported me mm. and continues to support me to this day um, mm. because without them, it, I wouldn't be here. It, it, this, this wouldn't have continued. So, and, and that, but that drive to, I mean, how do you deal with that kind of idea of representation? Because your work, I, I could imagine, is very saleable and desirable. But how do you deal with that relationship um, between the commercial world and... It's a lot more important than I would have thought when I was younger. Mm -hmm. uh, the personalities of the gallerists that you choose to be with will contribute to who you are as an artist, mm. whether you think they will or not. Because of how they talk about your work? And yes, how yeah. they represent you, but also the relationship that you have with them. Mm. Uh, I didn't appreciate that when I was younger. That's a really good point, I think, because a lot of younger artists just want a gallery and they get the first person that comes along. Or... Which is fine. I can understand that yeah. these days because but... all the experience probably right now you know, is you'd, you'd appreciate it. But you are giving sometimes 50% of your income to that person. So in my mind, you have to like them because you're giving half them half your money to them, but they're also making it. But secondly, like you say, they're speaking about on behalf of you all the time about what your work's about. They're present as, as a representative of you. Of you. And so you, I mean, how, how do you... <laughs> and they're picturing you into this art world. Yeah, that's right. And so how do you vet that? I mean, like how... Just go with someone who's really clever mm. and really loves what you do. Yeah, that's a good point. Just believes in you and you're complicated. I get it. Just someone who's addicted to you. <laughs> <laughs> really good point so well that's interesting with your work I think because in some ways it's kind of like a lot of the time it looks maybe modernist or it looks timeless in a way that it could have come from 1950 or it could have come from now and that I think is very fashionable at the moment but mainly because that's in line with like architecture and um, furniture and fashion 
So you, you have that already, which is a very saleable thing, right? But how do you, I mean, often there's these... I don't think that's an accident either. It's those, not. Those areas I, I daily tune into, hmm. architecture, design, fashion, hmm. and I agree. I think there's, I think the, the push of that in my work keeps it current. Hmm. So is that something, that, that idea of being current is something you think about? I, I have to be relevant. Mm. I, I don't see the point of, of what, what is the function of an artist in your tribe, if you will, if you're not providing some true uh, reason for being there, for being there for your tribe. That's a very, that, I mean, that's really interesting because lot, there's lots of artists that just think they can do whatever they want and people will either take it or leave it. So I do think that's a... Um, a great way to be. I'm a, to be almost relevant. a public servant in my yeah, so in my um, approach to that. Yeah. Patricia Piccinini said almost the, exactly the same thing. Right. Um, that it's not about her. It's about delivering um, something that's useful to people's minds, the way that they think about or inspired or quite selfless in mm, that mm. that's that's sort of how it comes across mm. but 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 what's interesting to me is that it's um you've sort of created this thing that can glean from other visual information or people's lives and that can keep changing right that will keep changing as your practice keeps going or do you think you stick with the sort of thing and then stay with it I think that when I was younger, there was, you know, obviously, as with everyone, mostly a lot of experimenting going on Mm. um, to find my bones. And then I think that I remember being younger and looking at older and people thinking, oh, they're so boring now. Like, (laughs) why are they doing that? That's not as as interesting as when they were younger. Mm. And then they just keep sticking to it. And you're like, just break, just riff on that, just get off that. Mm -hmm. And I find myself doing the same thing now where it's this honing that you can't let go of. It's mm. like you don't have to experiment anymore because you found what it is you want to be making. Mm. And then you've just got the tick-tock of and how is that endless? Do you think you can keep on that for... Well, till you die. So that's what <laughs> I was going to say. There's just that tick-tock of, honestly, I've started counting the years I might have left and how many works I can make in that really? time. Mm. I mean, personally, sometimes I feel a real urgency and I just can't help but thinking that's practic- it's practical to feel an urgency because what if you get cancer next year? Well, that's what I think about myself. Or what if I get hit by a little car? little doomsday. Yeah, a little bit. And then, and then you know, that, that fuels a type of urgency in me, which isn't always, it isn't always useful, actually, because it means that it's hard to just take stock and have space. Um, I've never heard that. But I guess it is quite close to what I'm talking about, so I don't mm. know why I'm so... Because you're already counting the... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many works can you produce a year? Uh, well, I think I did 20 last year, mm. something around that number, and they've all been taken up. Mm. Um, I think I think the appeal of my work is that it looks like art because it is art. <laughs> it's already been proven to be art. Yes. So and yeah. I think sometimes a community can be suspicious of uh, still in Australia, this notion of a gimmick or... Imposter. Yeah, like they're still not comfortable with certain materials in art and whatnot. And just fortunately, that uh, aspect of of the copyist or whatnot is something Mm. that 
that I do. I, I am the imposter. I am the grave digger. Um, sort of. But everyone is. This is the thing. Yes, you just yes. acknowledge it. I'm, just, I'm probably just more pure about it too. Mm. Um, I need more of it than less because there's less of me. But I just, I think everyone has the same, like every artist I know does the same thing, spends a lot of their time researching and gleaning, whether it's unconscious or not. You you just sort of are evolved enough to, to say that's what we all, that's what I do. But I actually think that's what everyone does. Do you know what I mean? It's But maybe it's that people feel insecure about saying that or something. I think people but want to be the literally, genius. are literally someone else's work. So, but then put together, make your work. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this thing, I, f- I find that really admirable that you can just state that as it is, because I do think that we all do that. But I think there's this thing with some artists where you've got to be like the genius that comes up with the idea first, which is almost impossible now. I mean, how can, everything's been done, right? Yeah. And that's another thing that's hanging around. There's a lot of very oldy worldy things hanging around the <laughs> art world today. And like what what are you thinking of when you say that that push for originality mm. you know to the point where if i i'm telling you now what i do and you're still not quite believing it and <laughs> i believe it i think it's just great that you say it because i think what's common now is to be to to just do that but to pretend that everything comes from this you know you're this unique flower well that's what i'm reacting against yeah, because yeah. i think that's going on with my work now mm. And I think, in fact, the most one of the most interesting things about it mm. is that it's not my work. Mm. It's 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 curated, it's edited, it's filtered, um, and it's existing in a different time where the artist isn't expected to have come up with all those centuries of abilities and perceptions. Mm. Um, so it's many lifetimes mm, in, in one. Yeah, and I guess it's that whole kind of like, you know, Picasso thing where he, you know, where a woman asked him to paint her in the park or like to draw on a napkin or something. And he said, okay, sure, and did it and then said that'll be whatever, $50,000 or whatever it was, you know, mm-hmm. that story. Mm-hmm. And she's, she was like, oh, but you just did it in a second. And he said, no, but my dear, I spent my whole life, you know, reading and writing and drawing and practicing to get to that point and it's almost like you've just spent your life you've kind of taken whole other people's lives of experience by looking with your eyes and editing that process out and then and i still have no idea what's going on oh i I disagree with that no i don't and i think i think that's why we are just still so mesmerized by art just Mm. so in its thrall because like the human brain, we still really have no idea what's going on in it. We're How it works. Yeah, we haven't cracked it. No, and that's no. why it's still relevant. It's elusive right? and it's still, it's progressing. It's like a separate alien it's, to us. It's awesome like yeah. that, I think, because everything else is so controlled in our society, right? Like you know exactly what you need to eat or you know exactly like how much money you need to do this or whatever, like how to build a house or drive a car or but art is this wild beast. That That's right. It's unregulated. <laughs> it's freeing. You know, yeah. and sometimes it's frustrating when I hear people saying, well, is this right or is that, you know, I do think that we restrict ourselves 
through a sense of expectation of of what art is. Mm. Mm, that's interesting. And I think it's quite a limited expectation in this country at the moment. Even though there's been a lot of progression, I think the artists are fine. I just think maybe that affiliated given, yeah. people could yeah just open up a bit more. Well, on that note, it's been really a pleasure and very enlightening and um, I've got a million thoughts and can't wait to paint in the dark tonight. <laughs> Thank you so much, Deanna, for coming. Thanks, Ty. What a firecracker of an artist Deanna is. I was so encouraged by her description of the difference between just making a painting and making art. How she said that real art can console and restore you and how a real artwork looks back at you and supports you. How wonderful to know that her respite from mental illness, which she finds in making art, has also become such a successful career. I loved her useful tips of not getting into debt from making your artwork, or else you might end up resenting it or even killing it. And her tips for finding the right gallery representation? Just find the one who's addicted to you. Oh, and all those aspiring young painters out there looking for a mentor, don't forget that Deanna's door is now open. This conversation was recorded by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. It was recorded for the series A World of Her Own, an artist project as part of the exhibition Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. If you enjoyed exploring Deanna's world with me today, you might like to delve into some other worlds by downloading more episodes directly from the ACCA website. Visit www.acca.melbourne, where you will find the World of Her Own link under Programs, or from SoundCloud if you visit soundcloud.com forward slash ACCA underscore Melbourne. I'd like to give a big thanks to Beck Fari for audio post-production and Melbourne musician Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting us use the track you just heard called End of the Day from her album The Ocean of Everything. At the end, at the end.